Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. Today, my guest is Paul Moore, and Paul comes to us from a long history in running his own businesses, uh, being in investments, but let me just read you a few of the highlights here. He started with an MBA, uh, an engineering degree and an MBA from Ohio State. He then began a management development program with uh, track with Ford Motor Company. Uh, he started a staffing company, which he sold and made millions. He began working uh, in Michigan and became Entrepreneur of the Year for two straight years, entered the real estate sector, has been on HDTV, has done rehabs, has managed dozens of rental properties. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's been in development with Hyatt on projects, multifamily projects. I mean, this guy's doing everything, contributing to Fox Business. He's been doing uh, write-ups for Bigger Pockets, which we all know and love. He's written a couple of books, The Perfect Investment. He's got a podcast of his own called How to Lose Money. Paul Moore, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us this morning. He, he sounds like a certified shiny object chaser, Shannon, and, and that's what I'm thinking. But I'll tell you, I repented for that, and I'm a new man. Okay. Well, you know, they say that chasing shiny objects is always funner than catching a dull one and hanging on to it. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Tell my wife that. So, Paul, I want to talk with you. You've got quite the track record here of being in business and being in real estate and, and being in apartments and being in self-storage. And now you're managing director of two real estate commercial funds called Wellington Cap or Wellings Capital. Why are you staying in the real estate space? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I don't think I really knew this on the front end. But there's a couple things about real estate that are very special. There's a number of things. One is, you know, the Forbes 400 wealthiest people in the world, Shannon, almost all have commercial real estate. Yeah. And one of the reasons is it's fractional in nature. I mean, if I want to go buy gold or a, a share of stock anywhere in the world, it's the same price at the same day, same time of day. But real estate's very much not. It's a fractured market, and I might be able to get a much better deal in Nashville than I can in Boise and better in Boise than San Diego. Another thing I love about real estate is it's based, a commercial real estate is based on a cap rate, which is math oriented. Right. I mean, residential real estate, if I, took the, if I took the nicest house on the block and added half a million dollars to it, you know, made everything beautiful, gold plated fixtures and finished the basement and the attic and everything else. I could only, you know, I'm still going to be limited by the comps, the comparable properties in that neighborhood, but commercial properties based on math, which means there's a value formula, which is the value is the net operating income divided by the rate of return or the cap rate. And therefore I could largely determine my own destiny if I can increase that net operating income, especially. And by doing that, I can drive significant value for myself and for shareholders. So that's some of the things I love about real estate. You know, and that's, that's so true. I mean, it, it becomes more of a science. Uh, it becomes more of a problem, a math problem to solve as far as what you've got in the market and what your projected income can be, rather than if we buy this house and remodel it, hopefully we can get to the other price in the market, but are we like the other houses in the market? 
So that makes a lot of sense. I want to take your expertise in a direction that everybody's asking questions about right now. We've got this massive government shutdown that closed every, I mean, every nation on the planet's been affected by it. We've seen world market changes. We've got oil prices that are, they've never been seen before. We've got, we've got all kinds of issues. We're going to have trade difficulties with China as we're trying to figure out who did what to who. Talk to us a little bit, Paul, through through the experience that you have. Where do you see the real estate commercial market especially headed in the next 12 months uh, as we try and rebound from COVID? So honestly, I, I'm an optimistic type person, but I really think this is going to be much worse than most people have faced. I mean, let's look at a few numbers. So in if you're old enough to remember, maybe some of your listeners are. Uh, in the 70s, there was stagflation. There were 2.2 million people unemployed. In 1980 or so, we had a Fed crisis, 2.5 million unemployed. 82, we had the double dip of the recession, 2.7 million unemployed. Uh, in the early 90s, 2 million, 1.9 in the dot-com bust. And in 2009, only about 2.6 or 2.8 million unemployed. My friend, we just had 10 times that in a few weeks claim unemployment. This is going to be a ripple effect that I believe is going to devastate uh, nations, economies, and real estate is certainly not exempt. And I could go through the math on an apartment complex um, that I, I did last night if we have time. But I'll tell you, there's, there's different, there's varying degrees if you look at an X and Y axis, you know, across the X axis, imagine the economic sensitivity in general of these different asset classes, like take cell towers. They're virtually not affected by the economy. Sure they are. I mean, in 01, I remember a cell tower project I was part of that got shut down. But overall, the income from cell towers, eh, it's in the same range in, you know, year in and year out. But on the other hand, you know, you've got other things like hotels. They're significantly impacted. And they're impacted by COVID on the X, on the Y axis and the economy in general on the X. And so, you know, the founder of Marriott said, this is worse than the Great Depression. I, I think he said worse than 2009-11 and 2009 combined, and they survived the Great Depression, but this is a whole new animal. Mm -hmm. So you've got things like senior housing, strip centers, malls, things that often already were overbuilt or had significant headwinds against them that are just going to be ramped up by this. I mean, you got J.C. Penney and Neiman Marcus possibly following Sears into bankruptcy. And, you know, you've got Kmart stores shuttered all over the nation. Well, that's just going to increase. There were 12,000 retail outlets um, closed down in 2019 in a phenomenal economy. I think that's just going to heighten now. I think there's some other things like student housing, senior housing, um, things like that, that generally are going to rebound pretty quickly, though. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I would tend to agree with you on a lot of that, you know, recession of eight and nine. I mean, that had some pretty major effects, but it had a long drawn out effect. I think, I think the fact that this, this has come on so quickly you know, we lost 20,000 jobs or 20 million jobs in a month. You know, it was, I mean, there has been nothing like it. Uh, to look at where, we're, where we were at as a nation, we've added 100 million people to the population between 1980 
and 2020, we've added 140 million according to the projections here I'm pulling up online. So we've, we've got a third more people, but you know, we're, we're talking about massive amount of people. And, and the other thing that I know is, you know, the, the stats are out there. The average American is $400 away from bankruptcy. So, so any interruption, any interruption in their cash flow is going to create problems. Now I know that uh, we've taken the approach of communicate early and often with our tenants, and we've worked out everything from uh, people that have been laid off and they're getting their unemployment on a weekly basis. We've worked out with them to 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 take the payment on a weekly basis, to you know some forbearance and some extension of the lease, uh, to to do some things. We've done whatever we can to make sure that they know that we are in their corner as a landlord, and I think that's helped us out to to not have missing payments or missing rent. Uh, we've worked out something to keep some sort of a cash flow coming in and, and have achieved, really, we only have one person that's not cooperating out of uh, several hundred at this point. Right. So we're, we're feeling really lucky at this point. But I think as a whole, you're right. Uh, and and I, I said this to a friend of mine yesterday, uh, for the first time in a long time, I feel sorry for a hospital uh, because hospitals grow, they expand because they, they are a net nonprofit. So they've got to spend a certain amount of money on building projects every year. But for the first time in a long time, I feel sorry for them because they cleaned everything out. They stopped all their elective surgeries. They stopped everything. They have all of this staff waiting around for these numbers to show up. And thankfully, we didn't have that. But they didn't have the income either. And now they've got massive revenue debt or uh, deficits and they've got problems there. They're talking about cutbacks. They're talking about laying off staff. And then you, you're right. You, on top of that, you just figure out that we had a $19 trillion national debt going into this thing. And we've just, in a matter of a month, added another $3 trillion. $3 trillion. Mm. I mean, that wow. is not a small amount. That is adding another 15% to our national debt over the weekend, boys and girls. I mean, that is that is that just made the money in your pocket Canadian. It's worse than Canadian. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's funny. I, I heard that, I don't know if it's M1 or M2, whatever it is, but I heard the money supply and circulation has just doubled. Now that's going to have to lead to inflation eventually. It, it does. You know, the, the, I mean, so so what does that do? You, you have inflation, yet you've got the cheapest travel on the planet because your fuel prices just got cut by 80%. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I saw a picture the other day uh, of uh, 15 oil tankers anchored off the, the coast of LA, uh, Los Angeles, that are full. They're just sitting there full. There's no storage capacity. Nobody's using fuel. You've got some economic factors that we've never seen before. We have a, we have a government that's willing to throw money at the fire. I mean, they're, they're like Pablo Escobar, lighting, lighting it on fire to keep their daughter warm, you know, keep the kids warm here, keep everybody happy. But at the same time, they're devaluing that dollar. You've got oil that's cheap. You're, get, you're getting 80% of your goods and goods in this country from somebody that you didn't have a great trade relationship a month ago two months ago, but you're really going to get rocky here in the next couple of weeks. What is going to happen? I mean, I, I, think, it, I think at this point, uh, it's anybody's guess, but how does somebody look at all the problems that you have, look at everything that's out there, not do what your podcast suggests? How do you not lose money here? So I did an analysis on an apartment building, like I said, and just to summarize, if the cap rate expands by 1%, in my analysis at least, and income, I'm talking about net operating income, not gross, uh, drops 15%, that 
basically the value, according to the value formula I quoted a few minutes ago, just went down 28%. Well, for folks who have to refinance and they were already leveraged up to 75%, they're just, they just went underwater. And now it's harder. The, the credit cycles, of course, follow the psychological and other economic cycles. And so I think there's going to be some massive foreclosures all across the board. I mean, I think some areas like self-storage and mobile home parks will have less of an impact. Cell towers and data centers and medical centers, much, much less. But I think there's going to be a lot of foreclosures. And I think, you know, it might be time, Shannon, to raise a distressed debt fund and try to find banks who are looking to offload some of these properties and their notes on the property for 20 or 50 cents on the dollar. I don't know. That's, I think that's something, uh, that's one way to prepare to make money in a time like this. And I'm going to jump over to residential very quickly. If you are in a market like Florida, Las Vegas, Scottsdale, Phoenix, or some areas of California, they have massive roller coaster swings in their residential and other property values. You know, it is almost after watching Florida go up and down like, a, you know, since I was a kid in every recession and expansion, I'm confident that it's possible to buy, uh, to acquire a residential property, a condo or a beachfront place or a condo at Disney for penny, well, probably a couple dimes on the dollar when this thing really gets bad in about one to two years. I plan to be there. One way to do that is through a lease option. If somebody's about to lose their home on the courthouse steps, you can lease option it for very low risk, very low money out of pocket, and you can just stay you back up and off will be the original mortgage if you do that. That's a great strategy to make money in answer to your question. It is. You know, now let, let's go back a little bit. I, I, I have a question regarding cap rates. You know, we've seen cap rates over the last 18 months have compressed, what do we say, 30 to 40 basis points. You know, we've seen cap rates mm -hmm. come down in our area from a 5.85 to a five and a quarter, but we've seen mortgage rates come down by two and almost 2%. So how does how does a, uh, if feds continue to 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 keep the mortgage rate low, keep it in the threes or the fours, how does that how do you think that affects cap rates long term? So I actually think you know the cap rate is certainly a reflection of risk tolerance. I think that the people who were willing to accept, let's say on a mobile home park, they used to expect a 10% return or 10% cap rate. We're going to say, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm not going to risk this much. I, I'm going to need to get a much better return to jump into this because of all the uncertainty. So I think the cap rates are going to expand possibly one or two points on most asset classes. That's my opinion. What do you sure. think? Well, I, I, you know, I tend to think that the cap rates are going to hold because of the, the spread is actually better based on what the Fed's done in the last 60 days. But you know what? I mean, I've been That's wrong. That's a good before, argument. And I've been wrong before. So the other thing that I look at, Paul, is if we wind up in a situation where we currently in our market have housing shortage. And so if we continue to see moderate rent growth or stagnant, even if we stagnate the rent growth and stabilize the product we have, we creep up to a 7%, 8% vacancy. Is that really going to throw that many people into default? Are they really financed that close to the line? I think a lot of people are. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, Idaho is a much more conservative 
state and there's probably not a lot of people who are, you know, days away from bankruptcy. I don't really know. I don't know. You know, it's interesting because it, it, it does take into a lot of factors. I know that, you know, Fannie, Freddie have been changing their guidelines on new loans as far as they want to see the, the property owner have six months of reserves on hand uh, for a new uh, Fannie Freddie loan. Uh, I was talking with a, another developer friend of mine. They're getting ready to close on a $40 million construction loan. And in the last week and a half, uh, the the bank changed the advance rate from 75 down to 65. So, you know, that's substantial. I mean, you know, that's that's millions of dollars that needs to come to the table to, to build this thing. Um, and, and that's just the bank looking at it as a, as a risk assessment. You know, that's that's all it is. 12, 15, 18 months of yeah. reserve requirements on these folks. Yeah. I mean, what somebody's going to have to come up with one to two million dollars in some cases just to sit in a low or no interest bank account. That's going to be tough. It really is, especially since they want it to be there to safeguard properties that may not be they may be the B class properties. They may be the ones that they're doing a fix and flip on that they've tried to force the appreciation and the forced appreciation backfire. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you've got a bunch of investors that have spent the money. They've, they've dropped their CapEx on the property, but the value that was coming wasn't there. They're not getting the returns. And everybody likes to just bail at that point. We're going to go with inflation coming on strong. People are I don't know that people are wanting to stay in the stock market. It's getting pretty squirrely on the top end there where it's bouncing back and forth so much. It has for the last month. It's been whipsawing back and forth, but they can't leave it in cash because cash is becoming less and less valuable every day as the Fed continues to print more. Where do people go in the interim? I mean, I understand a distress fund of 18 months from now, 12 months from now, but what do they do in the meantime to preserve their capital? My understanding is that inflation won't necessarily take off in the next 12 to 18 months, and perhaps there'll even be a deflation for a while. So um, I think for us in the short term, unless there's some huge triggering event. Now, I will say that in some of these South American hyperinflation incidents, they literally happened in a week. From what I understand, Germany in the Weimar Republic, uh, that you know that the, the you know these see these pictures of people wheeling a, a wheelbarrow full of money just to buy a loaf of bread. My understanding is that happened in overnight with no very little warning. Mm -hmm. So given that the fact, Shannon, that that's possible, I get it. But other than that, I, I don't think that's very likely to happen just in, you know, in the next several months. So Paul, for my listeners, what are you doing with your investment strategy? What is changing over the next 12 months versus the previous 12 months? So our strategy is to invest with operators, great operators um, in multifamily, self-storage and mobile home parks. And they're typically acquiring a steep value add or they're acquiring from a mom and pop seller in self-storage or mobile home parks, they're leaving a significant amount of meat on the bone. In other words, profit potential. A quick example is in self-storage. If I buy a $3 million self-storage facility and the day I buy it, I sign a contract with U-Haul to have them run their trucks out of there, their rental trucks, that can increase my income at that U-Haul, at that self-storage facility, two to $5,000 a month. Well, let's use our value formula on that. Let's say I increase the income for no CapEx 
uh, 4,000 a month. That's 48,000 a year. Divide 48,000 by a cap rate. Remember net operating income divided by cap rate for your listeners is the value. I just create $800,000 in value. Right. If I bought that storage facility for 3 million, which was let's say a 2 million in debt, 1 million in equity, I just appreciated my equity by on paper at least 80% with one simple change. Those are the kind of deals we're looking for because what happens is the debt service coverage ratio or the debt coverage ratio, you know, you the bankers want to see it at 30% margin, which is 1.3 or better. Well, I mean, I can, you know, given something I just like I just mentioned, I can jump that debt coverage ratio up over two within months of acquisition. That provides a real nice sleep at night cushion for these type of things even given the roller coaster that we might end up be on, being on. And so that's the kind of thing we're still doing what we were doing last year for that reason. Instead of necessarily doing a value add by pushing uh, remodel, you're doing mm -hmm. a value add by pushing a better lease program or more options at the self-storage people, uh, increasing the, the, sale, the, the ancillary income that goes with the mm -hmm. self-storage to right. make the operator more dollars per tenant rather than looking for more tenants to get more dollars out of. Well, we're going we're to be doing everything, but what you said was a perfect description of part of our program. We're also, you know, increasing marketing. A lot of these folks don't even have websites. We're increasing the signage. We're allowing them to check in online, which in the COVID environment is helping tremendously. Yeah, We might be converting uh, an acre of grass to uh, a boat or RV storage, which we can do for maybe $100,000 to pave that, right. put a fence around that. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Selling locks, boxes, tape, scissors, charging late fees, actually putting the lock, you know, the overlock on their unit after day six of being late. I mean, it's much easier to evict because you're not evicting a person. You're just using their, you're collateralizing their stuff. And usually for a hundred bucks, they can catch up on their payment. Most people can afford a hundred bucks, you know, on their credit card to get out, you know, to, so they can get to their stuff. So it's really, a, you know, those are the types of things in self storage, at least that we're looking for. You know, and that's a really good point. There's, there's so many times I've seen that there's a fine line between being a good operator and, and being lackadaisical. And, and some people draw that and they say, well, if you're, if you're a good operator, like you described, you can't be compassionate. And in, in these times, you need to be compassionate. But tenants are kind of like children. You know, they, they go to get away with as much as they possibly can but the minute that you tell them and continue to reaffirm to them that five days late is five days late, they aren't late anymore. And it's amazing yep. how the learned behavior of a lackadaisical uh, operator can go from six days to 12 days to now the, the tenant is a month and a half behind. And, you right. know, those are very easy habits to fix. We just invested in a um, Grand Junction, Colorado self-storage facility that had, get this, 80% occupancy, which is you know, probably double what a well-run facility would have. In other words, they usually have 10% vacant is normal. They had 20% vacant, but get right. this, they had 80% delinquency. Talk about a learned behavior. Wow. So after six months there, our operations team had that vacancy up to down to where, you know, basically the occupancy up to 94%, but get this, 
they had the delinquency down from 80% to 6% or less. And now, I mean, that facility, if we bought it for cash, it can be refinanced and we can pull back, you know, all of our equity um, and invest it elsewhere. And now we've got no money on the table. It, it's that much of a winner. You know, the other thing too, Paul, and to look at the other side of the story, that the guy that you bought it from is one of those guys that's going to go down the road and say, you know, real estate's a sham. You can't ever make any money in it. You know, I don't know what this passive income is all about, but you know, everybody that I know that's in the operations side understands that real estate is a very well-run business when it's well-run. When it's not, it is a mess and it can be expensive. Right. The learning curve is tremendous, you know, and it's one of the reasons why a well-run operator will run their business at peak performance all the time. They will run it without concessions. They will run it with the best environment they can, like tomorrow they're going to sell or tomorrow they're going to refi or tomorrow you're going to have COVID show up, shut the world down and you may need some cash. And if you've got the Grand Junction that you bought, you're not getting anything from the bank. If you've got the Grand Junction facility that you have currently, the bank's going to look at you guys and go, this is a winning story. This is something we can invest in. So Paul, what other advice can you give my listeners here as we're closing out this segment on what should they be looking to do with their investment strategies as they're closing out this quarter of COVID and moving into the summer months and what's going to happen through the balance of 2020. So if they're um, a residential type person or a newbie in real estate, they don't have a lot of cash and experience. I would pick up a book called real estate on your terms, which is not on Amazon. I think you have to go really look hard for it but it's uh, Chris Prefontaine. He teaches some really creative strategies to get into residential real estate. I'd recommend that you consider having him on your show. Um, if you're a commercial real estate investor or if you have more money to invest, uh, there are, I, I have seven paths in my upcoming book. I have a book coming, uh, coming out soon called Storing Up Profits. It's a book on self-storage and um, it's... Uh, it's the, the last third of the book, Shannon, is dedicated to seven different paths to get into commercial real estate, including passive investing, finding a mentor, being a deal finder, being a capital raiser, going to work as a W-2 employee for someone like you, and then working your way up, all kinds of ways to get into the business. I honestly think that massive fortunes are going to be made in the coming a uh, couple of years, I won't say months, but I'd say starting in 2021 and 22, you know, a lot of great companies like Disney, Apple, Microsoft, General Electric were launched or grew during really bad economic times. And I think it's going to be the same here. So um, I would say prepare your team, prepare yourself, prepare your tribe and get out there and get ready to take advantage of this cycle. You know, that's great advice. And, you know, it's always nice to have a little mattress money uh, that you can pull out in times of uncertainty. Um, but, you know, it's funny, Paul, <laughs> you were listing off uh, your seven paths. I know every single one of those guys, you know, and that's the thing that when you're getting into this real estate game, if you're around people that are the deal finders, you can learn to become one. If you're around the people that are mentoring other people or are being mentored, then you're in the right place. If you're around the guys that are that are doing the work or doing taking the path that you want, 
then you're in the right room. If you're in the guy in the room with the guys that are talking about the new Netflix show or the new car parts that they're modifying their little Volkswagen with or whatever else they're doing, you're in the wrong room for real estate people. So right. Paul, that's some great advice to surround yourself with that. And I, I, I want you guys to, to know that Paul has done uh, several books. Uh, one of them is The Perfect Investment, Creating Enduring Wealth. Multifamily Housing is another book he's written. He's got, this is your third book coming up, right, Paul? Uh, I wrote a book about regional real estate here in uh, Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia, but my new book is called Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff yeah. by Investing in Self-Storage. Uh, I'm also working on a book called Warren Buffett's Rules for Real Estate Investors, taking his principles and translating them to real estate. Wow. And uh, that should be out uh, if it stays on schedule, uh, December, 2021. You mean if you stay on schedule? <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, there's a nine or 10 month lead time to get a book to market if you go through a traditional publisher. So it takes a lot longer than self-publishing. Let me tell you that. Well, Paul, I want to thank you very much for giving us some of your time this morning. It's really been a pleasure to get to know you better. I look forward to hearing uh, or getting copies of your new book so we can get through those. I really appreciate all the advice you brought to us today. All right. Thanks, Shannon. It was an honor to be here, and I wish you the best and your listeners as well. Look forward to talking with you some more, Paul. Thanks again.